Jesus. Someone's gonna break him! Oh god, what did I just pour into my gullet? I have her! I like them on my face. That tongue was huge! I want the guy to be home. Welcome to the sixth episode of the long-awaited Amazing Race Australia 2 recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Holmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who is all show and no game, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the lady who tries not to discuss her children too much, lest the authorities ask too many questions, Michelle Pearson. <laughs> Good morning. I think Logan has a lot of game. I have a lot of game? <laughs> Your intro. <laughs> He's very gamey. <laughs> It's all getting worryingly cannibal already. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, we pre-warned that this episode was not going to be our usual ecstatic about this season episode, because this is a big old stinker of an episode. It might be the worst episode out of the Grant Bowler trilogy. Oh, it 100% is. And the annoying thing is, all of the tasks are not too bad, it's just... From the production side, it's not something I say about this season very much. From the production side, this was an awful, awful, awful leg. It was terribly planned. Yeah, there were two tasks that I did not like whatsoever in this. Like, probably two of my least favorite tasks, period, in the entire season. And then along with how the intersection twist is implemented, combines by by far the worst leg of this season... And then perhaps the worst leg out of the whole trilogy. Because I think in Masonry Australia 3, we get some mediocre legs in there. And then we do get some ambitious ones. But I don't remember anything from Masonry Australia 3, where it was just outright, this leg is awful, awful. I think the worst one out of season 3 was the Croatia leg, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, the one with the double roadblock. That was like really, really physical and not much else to it. The one thing I will say off the top of this is someone mentioned on your blog in a comment that they think that there should have been two legs in Dubai, but because of the Lucy and Amelia situation, it then all got shifted and everything. If that is the case, then this leg should have been one where everyone flew at the start of it. So there would have actually been a chance for Ross and Taryn to catch up, and it wouldn't have been as terrible, at least. And there was one major inconsistency. I'm, I didn't reread my own blog since I tend to not reread my own stuff. But right away in the departure times, the four-hour penalty is not a four-hour penalty. So I don't know why they said it was a four-hour penalty when it wasn't. I don't know what changed it. If James and Sarah and Ross and Taryn complained to production or production thought, well, the task wasn't supposed to be this harsh, so we'll half the penalty. Or if there wasn't even a penalty and Ross and Sarah were at the roadblock for that, you know, that extra couple hours. So, yeah, it might have, may not even have even been a two-hour penalty. It may have only been one-hour penalty that they were assessed. So, And if they were both there at the same time, or if it's over anyway, they're not going to make someone wait four hours. A two-hour penalty would make sense here because if you cast your mind back to the last episode, James and Sarah checked in got told, you can't check in, sorry, you're going to have to sit off to the side and wait out your penalty. 
then Lucy and Amelia arrived, then Ross and Taryn. So, if you look at Lucy and Amelia's departure time, which was 11.24, you have James and Sarah at 1.13, so if it is a two-hour penalty, they arrived 11 minutes before Lucy and Amelia did, and then you have Ross and Taryn leaving at 1.30, which works with it being a two-hour penalty. That makes sense. So why do they say four-hour penalty during the show? It may have been changed, and as with a lot of things in this season, production is rather opaque about these things changing. The other thing I was thinking when watching this episode, or suffering through this episode, I should say, is I think it would benefit from the tasks being moved around. So if you have the detour last, and you have the intersection first, then it screws Ross and Taryn a lot less, because they have a chance to catch up. Yeah, the intersection was just placed at the worst possible spot. Other than maybe right after the roadblock. That's the only other way. Yeah, the intersection is in a terrible place, but it's right in front of a very linear task. Probably the most linear task of the season, unless you screw it up a sufficient amount. So, if you then shift one of those tasks to the start of the leg, probably the intersection just to get it out of the way, or even putting the roadblock first, then it just works a lot better. And you actually give Ross and Darren a chance to catch up. Not that, of course, I wanted James and Sarah to go, but in the pantheon of production-screwed teams, Ross and Taryn should definitely be discussed. It's funny when Grant, when we do the previously on segment and Grant Buller says, Ross and Taryn escaped elimination. And I'm thinking, did they? Did they, did they really? Because I think episode five, based on how the intersection is going to be placed here, there is no point of them even doing this leg. I mean, the way I have worded it is... Um... Ross and Taryn quit the roadblock and were saved from elimination, at least officially. They just got to have one more day of just having fun in, in Istanbul. Yeah, their their elimination was just delayed by a, by 24 hours. That's it. Yeah. So previously, eight teams raced to Istanbul, where teams turned on each other and on Paul and Steve especially. Shane and Andrew U-turned them, but they still won the leg, and Ross and Taryn quit the roadblock and were saved from elimination, at least officially. And teams has now made their way to the Haram Hamami, a traditional Turkish bath built in the 16th century. And they must wash and scrub each other with a bar of soap until they reveal the detour plaque, which they can exchange for their next clue. And they have 90 didgeridolaroos for this leg of the race. Now something I did forget to mention when we talked about the Dubai leg is the prevalence of the Wild Wadi Rash Guards. Because when you see them do the, the Flow Rider Challenge, they all got coloured Wild Wadi Rash Guards. Yeah. And a lot of people wear them for the rest of the season. Paul especially. Paul is wearing it under his t-shirt as kind of a base layer at the start of this leg. Really? But you see it again and again and again, and it actually appears in the final challenge. Someone wears it during the very last roadblock of the season. So it's kind of an Easter egg for you to watch out for, is watch people wear the Wild Waddy shirts, because they do it a lot in this season. They like them? It's free clothing for them. It's clean. Yeah. It's presumably fairly breathable and easy to wash. It's uh, athletic clothing. Yeah. There's certainly worse freebies that they'll have got. I mean, they get baseball caps in the next episode. They're absolutely made. They didn't need to bring anything with them. <laughs> it's the one reprieve that production gave the season two cast is that they actually gave them stuff they could use along the way. Although I'm sure teams would have traded in a couple items of clothing for more money. Or a better car. <laughs> I seem to remember when they get to Canada, they also get uh, some sort of uh, winter weather gear as well to wear. Well, they had to, especially in Banff. <laughs> Just because it was December in Banff doesn't mean they have to 
capitulate to their coldness and uh, give them winter weather clothing. <laughs> this rash guard from Wild Wadi <laughs> in the Emirati Desert is not keeping me warm enough in Banff during December. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about those legs. I love both Canada legs. So they say in confessional that it was a long time coming for them to win a leg and it fired them up even more to do it again. And Steve spots in the clue that they have to scrub each other and it's not the most comfortable thing they've ever had to do, especially as workmates. Although their relationship is slightly less awkward than certain teams coming up in this leg. I think uh, when they were in the bath, Paul says, I know I wouldn't feel comfortable washing a sibling. And then Steve says, well, I I know I wouldn't feel comfortable washing you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it is Paul and Steve leaving at 9.59am, Michelle and Joe at 10.32, Sticky and Sam at 10.51, Joseph and Grace at 10.51, Shane and Andrew at 11.01, Lucy and Amelia at 11.24, James and Sarah at 1.13, and Ross and Taryn at 1.30. Michelle and Joe, when they depart, say the only team that they have a grudge against is Paul and Steve. One of them complains that they always have to wear bathing suits right after they've just eaten. (laughs) And then Michelle Michelle says that uh, she's only rubbed the wrong way by Paul. I mean, the Turkish bath would have been a great way to redeem that to see if Paul would have rubbed her the right way during the Turkish bath task. What they should have done is made it an intersection. Oh, no, they couldn't. Sticky and Sam would have been all for it. (laughs) Did you hear Sam? (laughs) Sam said to Sticky, can you do it really slow? Because he was just watching girls. Yeah. If this was an HD, you would have seen the drool trickle from Sam's chin as he's watching Michelle and Joe. The worst thing about that is the fact that it isn't Sticky and Sam's reaction, which is obviously a little bit crass, especially when they walk in and Sticky just goes, whoa. But <laughs> it's the camera angles. Yeah. Yes. Well, they show like Michelle wiggling while she's sitting down at one point. Yeah, the cameramen have a field day with this challenge. And spoilers for next episode, they have a field day with Grace in Cordon Bleu as well. God. Especially in the Turkish baths too, where they show Michelle pulling on Joe's bikini bottom to washer. And may I also just point out that this was only two years before the incident with uh, the Amazing Race Canada editors. Like, yeah, with Suki and Jinder. Yeah, Amazing Race itself was on the brink of a Me Too moment here. And it's uh, it's certainly interesting to see them tackle this task. Tackle being the operative term. I remember just making fun of Sticky and Sam so much with them just staring like 8th grade schoolboys <laughs> at Michelle and Joe. It was like uh, we, it was like the movie Weird Science. They were being horn dogs. <laughs> Let's be honest. They were being horned dogs. So they are determined to beat Paul and Steve. Someone's got to, apart from every team who beat them in previous legs, including literally every team left in the race, apart from Lucy and Amelia in the first leg, and most of them in the second leg and the third leg, and also the fourth leg. Not the fifth leg, arguably, but the first four legs, definitely. Until last leg, Paul and Steve hadn't placed higher than a fifth. In this leg, it was really tough to fall or really gain any sort of position just based on the structure of this leg like the turkish bath task ross and taryn do make up the 20 minutes or so on james and sarah but that's really because sarah was i don't i I really don't know what sarah's technique was supposed to be at the turkish bath i think she was just having the time of her life (laughs) sliding around on the ledges doing anything but getting washed she full mounts (laughs) 
James like it's a freaking Brazilian jiu-jitsu match and scrubs his, scrubs his chest. And then Ross has to be there saying, ah, can you guys keep it clean? This is, this is really motivating me to finish <laughs> this task as fast as possible and get the hell out of here and leave you two alone in the Turkish bath. Well, bear in mind, this is 11 days into the season's filming now. They haven't had a proper wash yet, so Sarah was just enjoying actually being able to take her time and uh, beautify herself, for want of a better term, for the first uh, for the first time in 11 days. However, she did kind of forget she was in a race, I think. Yeah, teams, I bet, wish they could have just brought their clothes in there just to wash their clothes, too. Yeah, because the starting line was the 18th of November, and this episode filmed on the 29th of November. So we're only halfway into the season, it's already 11 days. And there is some big amount of travel coming. I mean, the next leg or pair of legs, depending on how you categorize it, is five days long. What? And there was no break. Oh, yes. That's so weird. So Paul and Steve game the challenge, and Steve lies down so they can get the clue quicker. They think that Joseph and Grace will find it the most uncomfortable of all the teams. (laughs) I mean, they're not wrong, but I would have also put money on Ross and Taryn, because that's just as uncomfortable, I think, as washing a sibling. Yeah. And it's Paul and Steve who complete the challenge in first, and they find out it is a detour, which is shine or design. And in Shine, teams will find a shoe shine stall and convince 10 paying customers to have their shoes shined for no less than four Turkish Slayer each to receive their next clue. And in Design, teams will find the Egyptian Bazaar and a Mart's carpet stall. And once there, they have to find a pattern sample and match it to one of the hundreds of carpets to receive their next clue. One thing to point out is that about three months after this, Amazing Race 21 aired and the Beekman's ice cream speed bump took place in the same square as the Shine detour. And because this season is hilariously overcomplicated, on the way to the detour, they also have to pass a surprise yield board. The first yield in Amazing Race Australia, and one that nobody knew about. I remember going through this season and noting that there was a twist on every leg except for one or two of the legs, and it doesn't feel as disruptive or messy as the Bo Ryan trilogy of seasons when they do twists. No, they were trying a lot of things in this season, which is great. I love the fact that they surprised the audience with the yield and the contestants, because this appeared in no promo for the season. There was no acknowledgement that there was going to be any yields. It just suddenly appeared. Yeah, the only other major English language seasons to combine both U-turns and yields would be Amazing Race Asia 5 and Amazing Race 32 of the American version, right? Sometimes on the same leg. On the same leg, yeah. Why didn't more teams yield people, though? Why do you think? I think it's because it's not as disruptive as it could be. There's a reason it basically got replaced with the U-turn, and that is that all it did was bring character moments, which is obviously great for us to talk about. Mm. but it it was never a death sentence. There was never really the Jeopardy, because they never appeared right at the end of a leg, unless you're on hammer-ups. Yeah. It's also interesting to watch this season, now that 33 and 34 have aired, where they don't do any U-turns, no yields, no fast-forwards. All the game mechanics are just stripped out, and here we've had, we have every type of game mechanic thrown into the season, especially this episode where we get both a yield and an intersection. Yeah, because we have the salvage pass being introduced. We have 
the mark for elimination penalty, intersection yield, U-turn, must vote U-turn twice, although only one of them aired. We have a uh, fast forward later in the season. We have an additional route info task that gives you an advantage for a future task. Uh, is there anything I'm missing? <laughs> I'm trying to think. Was there anything in the penultimate leg in uh, China? Or just China being the twist? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, didn't they... Was the Great Wall of China challenge? Didn't have a weird rule to it like they did in Amazing Race Asia 4? Well, it was, you get three attempts and then you have to go to the back of the line. Yeah, that's not like it's not a major twist. Which of these details would you guys have picked? Shushine. Shushine, yeah. Yeah, I think Shushine is probably the answer. But having said that, only a few months ago I did go to Turkey and I had to sit through a very dull lecture on uh, Turkish carpets because I couldn't sneak out of it. <laughs> As Michelle will know from uh, from doing cruises herself, when you do certain excursions, they um, they like to show you the local produce. And despite the fact that there were warnings, like you will get led into this Turkish carpet lecture, you can just leave. They did not let me leave for like 15 or 20 minutes. And I mean, I'm obviously very much on my own when I did this cruise. I obviously have zero interest in (laughs) seeing how they make Turkish carpets. The Turkish carpets were, for the very smallest ones, the equivalent of about a thousand US dollars. It didn't appeal. I was not the sort of person they should have been targeting for for a carpet lecture in Kushidasi, but I was the person they ended up targeting. Did you at least get some apple tea, though? Uh, they did offer it me, yes, but um, me being me, I just wanted to go back to the ship at that point. I was trying to do literally anything I could to get out of that room. <laughs> did anyone buy the Turkish carpet? I think some people might have done. People with more money what? than friends. Yeah, because there's apparently a scheme that they were trying to flog where the Turkish government pay the shipping costs so that it's cheaper for everyone involved. But yeah, I was not there with that sort of disposable income. Bearing in mind that I did not pay much money for my cruise deliberately because I found a very good deal and the excursion that I was on, I didn't pay any money for because of a deal that I found. So I was very much doing this holiday on the cheap. Gosh. <laughs> Jeez. How on earth did you get a free excursion? So with the cruise line I was with, the they had like a... It was about £100 to upgrade, but I got a drinks package and I got a an excursion credit for every port that we were in. So it's $50 off. And the excursion that I was on, because it was half a day and because Turkey's cheap, was less than $50. So I didn't end up paying for that excursion. Wow. Okay. Uh, The other thing to mention with this yield as well is that this episode is infamous in Amazing Race history for many reasons. But one of them is the fact that the version that was uploaded for years of this episode did not feature anything before the yield board. Until Michelle and Joe get to the yield board and see that they've been yielded, that did not exist on the internet for... I'm going to say about five years. Why? I don't know. Was this because of the two separate areas? No, because that was weeks and weeks ago. That was like episode two, episode three, I think. Oh, okay. It was just some sort of fault with whoever had uploaded the episode. It was Hmm. there originally. Then that version disappeared into the ether. And um, it got replaced by a version that was only about 36, 35 minutes long. And it started as Michelle and Joe were getting to the yield board. Strange. So even they didn't like episode six. They're like, eh, let's just only show 36 minutes of this episode. <laughs> yeah, so for years and years, nobody actually had seen any of Paul and Steve doing Hamam Task or even Michelle and Joe doing it. 
Um, it only got fixed when some lovely person, me, <laughs> went in and found the remaining six minutes and merged it into an episode. And then it sort of got dispersed over the internet. Bizarre. Oh, is that why you see like that weird little cutter transition suddenly on the video feed? Probably. I can't remember how, how noticeable it is, but yeah, the only reason that we have the first like six or seven minutes of this episode is because I tracked it down about five years ago. Impressive. Good on you. Yeah, so this is the one bit of uh, of good news to, to do with this episode. It's the fact that, you know, I saved the internet. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> you get downloaded on Reddit just for that. <laughs> oh, I get downloaded on Reddit anyway, because the Tarsal Reddit's a cesspit. So as we said, Michelle and Joe had a little bit of fun bathing themselves, and to be fair, it is probably the most clean they've been in about a week and a half. Yet it was the messiest that Sticky and Sam had been all season. Yeah, notice we don't see anything of Sticky and Sam from the waist down. Yeah, they. I'm, Sticky was asking, oh, do you want to swap partners? And I'm thinking, well, it's not quite season 30 yet, Sticky, I'm sorry. They do kind of bring it on themselves by saying stuff like, it could be someone's fantasy to see two twins rubbing each other down. And the editors have fun with this by immediately cutting to Sticky and Sam leaving the pit start when they actually say that quote. It is zero seconds between Michelle and Joe saying it could be someone's fantasy and Sticky and Sam leaving the hmm. uh, the archaeological museum. It's a very funny little sneaky edit that's Joe though. And when Joseph and Grace leave the pit start, Joseph says, I'm learning things about Grace I didn't know about. And I'm thinking, well, you're about to learn a whole lot more, Joseph. <laughs> especially when she kind of gets into her brother soaping her up it's it's a bit uncomfortable I have to say yeah because there's a confessional saying it was so therapeutic it was so awkward but it was so beautiful and everyone else is thinking oh this is going to be really awkward for Joseph and Grace and it wasn't and then there's that transition where Joseph is scrubbing down Grace after Grace has scrubbed down Joseph and she says Oh no, Joseph has a hilarious quote saying, well, Grace hadn't shaved her legs in a couple weeks, so scrubbing her body down was like scrubbing sandpaper. <laughs> the irony is that is actually probably the best tactic is find out what the roughest bit of your body is and just use it. And then oh, Grace also says, Joe, I did your whole body and you're not going to do my toes. Do my toes. In the toes. Do my toes, Joe. Oh my god. I know she went on about the damn toes. I mean, you have a lot of siblings, Saunders. What would it be like having any of your siblings soap you up like this? Well, no, none of us even hug each other. No one's a hugger in the family, so I couldn't even imagine trying to do this <laughs> task. It'd probably be everyone's worst nightmare. <laughs> we don't even shake hands. It's like, hey, what's up? I think it'd be unpleasant even if it was you and Ryan. Yeah, it, it probably would. Ryan would think it's hilarious, though. We're actually going to go see Die Hard in a couple of days together. <laughs> Yeah, they're re-showing it in the local movie theater. I mean, it's an argument for another time, but it's not a Christmas film. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I, I was treading that topic very carefully. I'm like, wait, can't can't say it. I know I'm opening another big can of worms because it's been talked about on this podcast at least four or five times during the every every Christmas podcast when we're recording. You know my feelings on Die Hard not being a Christmas film. Oh, God, if it's set around Christmas, it's a Christmas film. It was out in August. It's not a Christmas film. No, not about August. If the actual movie is set at Christmas time, it's a Christmas movie. Yeah, but could you move it to any other time of the year and it would still work, Michelle? Yes is the answer. Of course. 
But if it's set at Christmas time, it's Christmas movie. <laughs> it's cynically set at Christmas time to try and capitalize on stupid people who think it's a Christmas film. Oh, really? Is that true, Michael? It's the same reason Jonah Leary re-released Stop the Cavalry with a Christmas lyric. It's just to get on the Christmas playlist. <laughs> so Paul and Steve find the yield board and target the twins to try and win the leg and another prize, and they say it is nothing personal. And Paul says that the most difficult bit of the shine detour is to actually bring people in. And people naturally mistrust him. Which, I mean, we've seen that for the last six episodes. Yeah, even the Turkish locals need to be approached by Steve rather than Paul. You're approaching me! And St- Sticky and Sam finish the Turkish bath, and Sam follows BJ and Tyler's footsteps by opening the clue with his mouth. It's a very rare feat to see. I mean, given how much people were slipping in that hammam, I think it would have been a nightmare for anyone to open the clue. <laughs> yeah, just open it up with really soapy hands. Oh, I dropped the clue. Oh, now it's soaked. Shane and Andrew say that family is the most important thing to them. They're both married with two kids and try not to discuss home too much as to not get upset. Steve is better than Paul at encouraging people as he has the used car salesman in him. They knew that the girls would poach the customers if they got to shine while the boys were still there, so they needed to get a move on. And they get ripped off? They very much do. We get loads of, like, borderline inappropriate stuff from her mam. Obviously, Sticky and Sam haven't left at this point, but they do leave in third. Grace hasn't shaved her legs, as we said. Andrew says he's glad he's not lathering his sister up. And Lucy and Amelia, when they depart, say that it's a completely different race when you're not at the back of the pack. Because this is the first time that they have had literally anyone behind them leaving a pit stop. And yet they're still 85 minutes behind first place. (laughs) Michelle and Joe are yielded by their favourite friends and reach the board. And they say no one likes someone who plays dirty. Which is definitely what Paul was doing here, rather than, you know, using the tools of the game. Yeah, exactly. It blows my mind because it's like, you just voted to U-turn him two rounds ago. And if you reached that not-so-anonymous U-turn last leg, you would have U-turned Paul and Steve again. And now you're accusing them of being dirty. Oh, no, it's ridiculous. And and they're cleaner than they've ever been. They were just in a Turkish bath. (laughs) It is a little bit self-righteous from them. Yeah, it doesn't come off too well. I'm thinking, well, what what were Paul and Steve supposed to do at the Yield after being U-turned twice? None of the other ten teams this season have been U-turned, and Paul and Steve have been U-turned twice. They've got to do something with that Yield. They know they would have been Yielded. They would have been handicapped three times, three legs in a row, if they weren't there first. Exactly. Who do you think Michelle and Joe would have gone after? Would they have still tried Paul and Steve, even though they know they left before? Yeah, 100%. Because they get along with everybody else. And then Michelle herself said, Paul is the only person who rubs me the wrong way. And of course she says that right before her sister does it as well. Yeah. There's one quote that I did uh, accidentally skip over as well, and that is Shane when um, him and Andrew leave the, the hammam in fifth place, saying, let's go find some carpet. I mean, presented without comment. Jeez. He said it, not me. I know. So Sticky and Sam and Shane and Andrew find the carpet shop together and end up working together, almost like it's the sauerkraut situation. And of course the internet then erupted and said that they were abusing the rules of the game and that they shouldn't be helping each other and that everyone should stay apart. Oh wait, no, none of that happened because people haven't got to stick up their ass about alliances, have they, at this point in Amazing Race history? No, I thought it was okay for them to help them. Of course it was. And I mean, 
Sticky and Sam, when Shane and Andrew eventually find their carpet for them, stick around and help long enough to make it acceptable anyway. Yeah. I mean, arguably, they probably all know that this is basically a free leg anyway, because whoever out of James and Sarah and Ross and Taryn survived the four-hour penalty probably is getting eliminated here. They obviously don't know there was an intersection coming and that it was a non-elim. But they know they have a lot of time to work with, and the leg is taking place within... Not a lot. I mean, Istanbul is an enormous city, but they know it's going to be a bit tough to give away all give away all of that time, especially when the Turkish bath task didn't have the highest degree of variance in finishing time, and I don't think the shoe shine task really had much variance either. And then the roadblock, nobody screws up at it more than once, which means nobody lost more than three or four minutes at the roadblock. And then the wrestling was like a. I don't think took more than one minute for anybody. The total distance covered in this leg is 23.68 kilometres, and 20 kilometres of that is going to the intersection. Yeah, which renders the first half of this leg null and void, essentially. Yeah, 21.2 kilometres of this leg is just going to and from the intersection. So I assume they went to the Asian side of Turkey then for the wrestling task, right? I don't know for certain, but I presume so. It's on the river, so I presume so. So Paul and Steve leave Shining first, and teams must now travel to Romelli Castle, where they will find their next clue, which they don't know is going to be an intersection. Michelle and Joe go back to their tits and teeth tactic from episode one to bring their customers in, and they have no issues with flirting with any of the Turkish men to get what they want. I like how much higher their tone of voice was when approaching the men. (laughs) Can we shine your shoes? (laughs) Do you know the absolute best thing about this? RFF didn't have a picture of Michelle and Joe, despite the tits and teeth tactic here, until they had got to uh, Cuba. Because I checked the timeline on this, Michelle and Joe were the last team actually identified, and they did not have a picture of the girls properly, other than knowing that they were two girls in pink, until episode seven had already filmed. Wow. Oh, wow. Everyone else was identified, but they weren't. So Paul and Steve arrive at the intersection and realise that they've screwed themselves with the yield, (laughs) which is just (laughs) delightful. Yeah, Paul says, unfortunately, we yielded the second place team and we screwed over our own lead. (laughs) And Grace tries to flirt with the customers and dances to entice them. Yeah, she was like flirting with the glove that she was holding. Yeah, apparently it's a strength that she has over Joseph. The best thing about this is the fact that Joseph looks very, very tired and confessional by this point. He just doesn't want to even bother with her at this point. Oh, is this the blog where I look where I talk about man? Joseph looks like a looks progressively more of a zombie episode by episode when they do <laughs> confessionals. I think it starts with this one. Yeah, he really looks dead by the next episode, but it starts <laughs> with this one where yeah, he just he doesn't look very awake. Yeah, the next one he looks really bad. I'm like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> so bad. Grace didn't think that it would be so challenging to try and get men to let her shine their shoes. And she tries her old tactic that she tried with Paul and was so successful of trying to high-five a guy. And just like with Paul, it doesn't work. (laughs) It doesn't come off as genuine for some reason. They just keep ignoring her. I'm trying to think, like, when the Turkish people are walking by, do they see Grace and think, oh yeah, she's she looks, looks Lebanese, do you think, when they walk by her? I'm trying to think of Turkey and Lebanon get along too well in international relations. I don't know, but also, you have to bear in mind, they were there at the same time as Michelle and Joe. And of those two teams, who do you think's more likely to actually be at least sincerely warm and genuine with you? 
I think you've probably gone Michelle and Joe in a heartbeat. But it's not just warm and genuine. They're blondes in a country which has primarily dark hair. So, God, they're going to have a lot more attention. And they're twins. Yeah, it's some people's fantasies to see a pair of blonde twins in Turkey. <laughs> it's like the episode of The Office when it's uh, Jim and Pam's wedding and Michael and Dwight are in the bar and Dwight says, Michael, Michael, you have to come see this. They're twins. And then Michael is trying, is hitting on this one woman and he says, well, they're twins, so I kind of have to leave you be. And then Dwight leads Michael to a pair of overweight gentlemen. And then Dwight says, oh, look at those twins. Don't they just look majestic? <laughs> so Shane and Andrew find Sticky in Sam's carpet and they leave Design in second, technically but they decide to give Shane and Andrew a hand so they're not completely stuck, and that means that Michelle and Joe leave Shine actually in second. Lucy says the strength of being a teacher is convincing people to do things that they don't want to do, and inexplicably it works. Yeah, Lucy doesn't touch the Turkish men as much as Grace does. I don't think the twins touch the Turkish men as much as Grace does either. Or as much as um, Sarah does. (laughs) (laughs) Massage? I do have to ask Michelle as an Australian teacher, is that true from Lucy? Yes. That you can convince people to do things that they don't want to do? Yeah. I mean, Lucy, actually, she was so deadpan. I laughed so heartily when she get there and the guy, the guy just says no. And then all she says is like, come on, come on. And he just, he just walks over with her. And I'm like, wow, you're gold. <laughs> Four lira, cheap as chips. Yeah. I don't know whether it's the skills from being a teacher or them just being delightful to be around. I think they yeah. just have such a, a warm energy that I think people are just naturally I think people just naturally want to be around Lucy and Amelia. It's funny. You know, I mean, I can get a five year old to do anything, even when they're saying no, adamantly no. So yeah, she has something going there, but yeah, she's just a nice person. Yeah, I think it's just her and Amelia are very, very personable. I think they naturally are people who you just want to help and be around mm. if you encounter them. And then Lucy has the finds the Turkish man who gets away. <laughs> Shining his, his shoes, saying, unfortunately, I have to move on and so do you. You could give me your number, but I don't have a phone to call you. <laughs> we have the wonderful confessional with them talking about him where they say that they have been waiting to do some hardcore perving, and Turkey has delivered. (laughs) And unsurprisingly, our episode banner is going to be Emilia telling us how hot the Turkish man is in the background. (laughs) Because it, it really made me laugh. She was mugging for the camera, let's be honest, but she was mugging in such a beautiful way. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, Grace is not too fond of the Turkish men. Uh, Her exact quote is, Turkish men, especially the oldies, are so stubborn. The worst thing is, this isn't even going to be in the top ten most horrible things that Grace says in in this season. Yeah, Turkey gets off easy. She has some deeply horrible quotes coming soon. I mean, one of which is probably the the entire encounter with... uh, with her brother at the Hamam, but there's some interesting quotes from from Grace, and in fact one that I sent to Saunders earlier, just going yeah, I think Michelle's going to have an aneurysm when we talk about this one. <laughs> it's next episode, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. 
So Sarah says there's a lot of pressure in the race now. It's really just them versus Ross and Taryn for the final spot in the final seven. And Ross says he would rather be competing against them than Paul and Steve. As we said, Sarah has a bit too much fun sliding around and the cameraman has a bit too much fun filming her sliding around. Paul says it felt like all the other teams are against them and they could be rejected and pushed to the back of the pack if everyone says no at the intersections of them. I like how Paul and Steve are so bored waiting at the intersection that even the cat sitting near them gets bored too and leaves the frame like, ah, this this is boring to watch. I'm leaving too. Peace out. <laughs> well, if you assume that Paul and Steve and Michelle and Joe took a similar amount of time to do the hammam task, Michelle and Joe were already half an hour behind. They get another half hour behind because of the yield. They maybe make some time up at Shine because of how nice they were to the men and how much the men liked them. But Paul and Steve probably had to wait about 45 minutes at least there, in a best-case scenario. This isn't right. <laughs> but luckily for Paul and Steve, the twins do let bygones be bygones and intersect with them. You understand why Paul and Steve and Michelle and Joe are going to be at the top of the leaderboard for quite some time. Both teams are equally competitive, I would say. Where Michelle and Joe say, screw it, I really, really don't like Paul but I really, really like to win even more. I think the difference between them and other teams is that yes, Paul is very competitive, and yes, Michelle and Joe are very competitive. Steve probably isn't, at least not physically. But they can set personal feelings aside and just focus on the race, rather than being distracted by other people, like pretty much everyone is by Paul in this race. Everyone else is so blinkered by their hatred of Paul, especially Grace, that they they struggle in the race because they're just like, oh, we need to beat Paul. Oh, we need to beat Paul. And if he's not attainable, it then becomes a problem for them because they don't have that motivation. I have a question. I didn't think of this till now. Do you think any of the other teams would have just re- outright refused to intersect with Paul for this task? No. That would have been stupid. I don't think they would have. Even Grace? Yeah, I think they all have enough brains. She would have had enough brains to think, well, well, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm surmising here, but I don't think she would say no. I think Grace would have had a, a problem with having to intercept with Paul. Yeah, a problem, but she still would have gone ahead with it. Remember that this is also, they know that Ross and Taryn and James and Sarah are really far behind. So there is, they do have that option where, they could just screw over Paul and Steve and say, well, we'll just wait for the third place team. And now you guys, instead of being in a fight for first and second, you're going to have to be in a fight for third and fourth. Yeah, I don't think Sticky and Sam would have, but I think Joseph and Grace maybe would have said, nah, sod you, mate. What about if Michelle and Joe show up to the intersection with another team? Or like they know that the third place team is right behind them. But they still just say, no, we don't want to sacrifice even a minute. We're going to intersect with Paul and Steve. I mean, if it was still Sticky and Sam in third, I think Sticky would have definitely wanted to intersect with the twins. But I don't know. They would have had to, to work something out, wouldn't they? So teams must now combine and break through a line of Turkish oil wrestlers to grab a lamp which they can exchange for their next clues. For extra fun, just because they haven't lathered each other up enough, they have to lather each other up with oil and wear cycling shorts, unlike the guys that they are wrestling. This is probably the worst task of the season. Yes, it is a terrible task. It is completely pointless. It's a 10 kilometer detour in a completely wrong direction for them. However, 
I mean, we do get some fun Paul quotes. <laughs> Paul has a confessional where he says the guys are so large they make him look tiny. And unfortunately, he does refrain from saying, you wrestled with me at any point during this challenge. We also get the hilarious moment of Michelle getting clotheslined. Maybe not hilarious for her, but it was hilarious for me. And I think Michelle said, we don't even equal one of their wits combined. Yeah, I mean, this is a a complete filler challenge. And I think if the plan was to have just one leg in Istanbul and everything had to get split out and all that sort of stuff, I think we would hate this a lot less. And I think this probably would have been a challenge that maybe the editors didn't put in. But the problem is, we see all the challenges in this episode. Because there's not a lot else going on, there's no intrigue. Yeah, there's... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a rare combination to have a challenge that's really quick, really pointless, has a terrible twist thrown in, and is outright dangerous. Yeah, I love the intersection as a twist, I love how they used it in Amazing Race Australia 1. I know a lot of people don't like the uh, the log soaring task, but I quite like it. I think it's stupid here. I think it was completely unnecessary. Yeah, because that was it was hilarious, but also scary to just see Michelle on the ground shaking, not knowing how much damage had been done to her. Because when they show the replay, because you don't really see it as it happens, but when they show the instant replay of it, that's a big elbow to take to the chin when it's coming from a man who is twice as big and probably weighs more than twice as much as you. You're getting into concussion territory there. Yeah, I think it was deeply stupid for them to do this challenge on a very small patch of grass surrounded by cobblestones. And just four versus four wrestling in a very small... like Even even one-on-one wrestling in a small area leads to a lot of injuries. Yeah, they were asking for someone to get injured here. Yeah, and when it's four versus four, and a lot of money up for grabs, I'm surprised more injuries didn't happen here. I'm surprised something didn't happen with their knees. Just going down on their knees, and I don't know. Yeah, Emily would have been screwed over if she was in this season. So once teams grab the lamp, they are no longer intercepted, and instead face a roadblock, which is who wants to give it a whirl. And in this roadblock, one team member must join the Whirling Dervishes and spin continuously for five minutes to receive their next clue. And it is Steve, Joe, Sticky, Joseph, Amelia, Shane, James, and Ross doing the roadblock. I wonder how humbling it was for Paul to have a Turkish man belly flop onto him. You belly flopped onto me! And that's true, it actually happened. Yeah. My other favourite thing from the intersection is uh, Sticky, when he sees the board, going, No, surely not! No, surely not! Hmm. <laughs> It must be a mistake. Heavens, sooth. (laughs) Good gracious. This one grabbed the smelling salts. I think I'm about to faint. So Shane and Andrew are left alone at the Shine Challenge. The lunch rush finishes, which makes it a bit harder for them. And as you said earlier, Sarah sits on top of James to grab the soap, and Ross has to tell them to keep it clean, which appropriately they weren't in a hamam. They realise they have to kick it into gear and stop having so much fun and try and actually catch up. Sticky and Sam then team up with Joseph and Grace, leaving Lucy and Amelia alone. And we get a lovely, tender moment from Shane handing a young boy a kangaroo keyring as he reminds him of his son back at home, who was 11 at the time, which means that now, as of the time of filming, he's going to be 22. Wow. Shane's son has doubled in age since this season filmed. I wish they would have shown the unaired clip, where after the man and his son 
walk away from the shoe shine that the kid just casually drops the kangaroo keychain in the garbage and couldn't care less about having a kangaroo keychain. Shove that down under. <laughs> yeah. And poor, yeah, poor Lucy and Amelia. They're in fifth. Their best position so far in the entire season through six episodes. And get hit with an intersection. Yeah. Lucy and Amelia at this point in the season are just becoming Charlie Brown with the ball. And production are Lucy kicking it away every time. There are three teams below them. And then they get screwed over by the intersection. Grace says she appreciates the shirtless men at the intersection and is distracted, but fortunately Joseph has a jiu-jitsu background and grabs the lamp and they leave quickly as well. Yeah, Grace's confessional was, seeing those guys come out shirtless was beautiful. Surprised there wasn't a halo surrounding uh, (laughs) four Turkish wrestlers when that happened. Or just the sound effect of uh, a choir of angels. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing more heavenly than four Turkish dudes oiled up. That is certainly my my theory on things. <laughs> so when they get to the roadblock, Steve and Joe find out that the dance has religious significance so they can't afford to get it wrong. Sarah intimidates the men at the shine detail but ends up offering a massage as a perk. And Ross responds by touching a man's bald head. Yeah, and he just says, no, no, dear God, no. I'll pay you four lira just to not give me a massage. Steve is so focused at the roadblock on not getting it wrong that he looks constipated. And then Joe gets dizzy and collapses and has to restart the roadblock. Yeah, Michelle and Joe are taking a bit of a beating this round. And not from Sticky and Sam. Oh my god. And (laughs) the Dervish task, because this couple tasks this leg have a huge amount of overlap with Season 7, because Season 7 had Way a bunch of people at the detour instead of shining shoes. And Romelli Castle, I believe, where the intersection was held, that was the same castle used for the roadblock and pit stop in season seven, right? It was indeed, yes. So, yeah. And then, yeah, now here in season seven, it was just watch the der- the spinning dervishes and then grab the clue. This time it's be the spinning dervish, but this roadblock really doesn't work. Because it is extremely subjective. They don't have to follow any sort of technique. It really is just have your arms somewhat raised. Doesn't matter the angle. Doesn't matter the position. Essentially just spin for five minutes. They're not remotely resembling the dervish except for maybe Sticky. I think Sticky was the only one who had the proper technique down. And then everyone just looks either (laughs) possessed or demented. Joseph. Joseph just... And his arms out like an aeroplane. Like he's going to take someone else out. <laughs> I think definitely production could have been a little bit more uh, strict on them during the roadblock properly. Yeah, like two arms had to be in separate positions, but most teams had both arms in the exact same position, or as Joseph did, where just two of his arms were just straight out at a 90 degree angle. Yeah, I think they were probably slightly worried about people falling over too much. And even then, a lot of people weren't standing on one leg like they should have been. Yeah, that's why this roadblock was just kind of dumb, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the roadblock, as you might have guessed. Because there's now for us to talk about, apart from, you know, people falling over, losing Amelia being appreciative, and, uh, yeah, Joseph just looking like an aeroplane. So Russ doesn't read the shine rules and realise that they have to do five each, wasting two of their shines. 
but it doesn't matter because there's an intersection anyway. Shane and Andrew are the lucky ones paired with Lucy and Amelia, and apparently the wrestlers look like they should have been in the WWF, which it hadn't been since 2002, much too soon to ease the disappointment. Yeah, I, I think I made the same joke in my blog where it's like, eh, Shane and Andrew don't realize that it's the World Wildlife Fund. Andrew has a good line when he says he gets the long arm of the law out and grabs the lamp in one attempt. Yeah, he knocks it over and then Shane uh, has to gra- grab it while laying on the ground when he's put into a freaking sharpshooter by one of the Turkish men. And Joe is focusing on just not falling over as she doesn't want to restart and have to do another five minutes of torture. And all I'll say on that is put a pin in that for five more episodes until we get to five minutes of real torture for Michelle and Joe. Steve then leaves the roadblock in first, and teams will now find Bay as it's square. The pit stop for the sake of the race, the last team to check in, may be eliminated. And they have to go on foot. They do indeed. Although it doesn't actually really come into play because nobody ignores that instruction. Michelle says that she's going to run her heart out to the pit stop as those boys don't deserve it. I mean, they kind of do, given that they've been first place every single task since they entered Turkey. Deserve is a very loaded word in reality TV, I have to say. Yep. And unsurprisingly, still in first is Paul and Steve, who check in in first place and are being filmed by RFF in the background, and they win a state-of-the-art computer package valued at 5,000 didgeridoloroos. Could you see them in the background, or are you just talking about because there was a photo of them? There's a guy filming when they run into the stop. <laughs> There's a guy with a camera phone, who I'm, <laughs> I'm joking is part of RFF, but I really wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Michelle and Joe checking in second, and then Russ and Taryn leaves Shine in seventh, leaving James and Sarah in last. Oh, there is a foreshadowing quote from Steve here, right after getting the, the, the first place finish, where he says, at this point, the only people who can stop us is us. Because there's no more U-turns and yields for the rest of the season, if I'm not mistaken. Well, well other than the air unaired one. Sticky is the world's most chill, whirling dervish, unlike Joseph who pops up and down and doesn't even balance on one leg like he's meant to. Russ and Taryn then get to the castle and find the bloody intersection and realise how screwed they are. James and Sarah finally leave Shine in last. Shane and Andrew's driver drops them off just around the corner from the roadblock, but it's not the right number six, and their cameraman seems to have a random filter on the camera as it constantly blurs around the edge about three or four times in this scene. Interesting. Top left corner. If you rewatch the challenge, there's like a blue filter in the corner that's only on Shane and Andrews. Lucy and Amelia then do their usual thing of being very appreciative of being in another amazing place, and Amelia spends most of her time chanting to herself when she realises that the dance is a prayer. Joseph and Grace checking in third, Sticky and Sam checking in fourth, and then Shane and Andrew get good directions finally, and Shane thinks he will either go A over T, or he'll be okay, and he decides to impersonate a teapot. Oh my god, what is that? What is he doing with his hand? <laughs> At the final wrestle, Ross grabs the lamp within about two minutes and says the guys are all showing no game and he flexes the muscles that used to be there on his way out. When Shane and Andrew get the when the cab driver drops them off at the wrong place, where it looked like it was a sweater shop, do you think that was just the cab driver's way of hoping they would buy something and he gets a kickback for it? Because that's happened to me, and that happened to me in Egypt. Yeah, from my experience of Turkey, yes. That's six hours I spent there, yes. Because even when I was walking back to the ship, there was a guy who, bearing in mind I was wearing trainers, tried to encourage me to have a shoe shine. And I'm like, no, there's no leather on my shoes. (laughs) 
<laughs> what is the point? Oh, I just want to chat with you. No, you don't. You're trying to shine my shoes unnecessarily, mate. Well, Egypt is so extreme with that, where they'll switch out to anything. If you're not going to buy something initially, then they'll try to chat you up some more and then want you to try and buy something else and then something else and something else. And then you just have to try and walk away until you're too far away from them that they don't feel like following you anymore. Yeah. And the annoying thing is I didn't have my headphones at that point, so I couldn't even have pretended I couldn't hear them like I normally do. Usually I'm unapproachable in streets because I just have my noise-cancelling headphones on and I'm like, sorry, I can't hear you, bye. But uh, they were still broken at that point. Lucy and Amelia checking in fifth, which is their best placement of the season so far. Shane and Andrew checking in sixth. This was probably Shane and Andrew's worst performance of any leg all season because they didn't lose that much time with the bad taxi driver, but overall, they just did not do well with this leg. No, they only start two minutes behind Lucy and Amelia in the next leg. But Lucy and Amelia were 23 minutes behind them at the start of this leg. So they lost 25 minutes to Lucy and Amelia. On top of the intersection where they got to gain a whole bunch of time. Yeah. James and Sarah checking in seventh, and Ross and Tyrion checking in last, and are eliminated without even having their marked for elimination penalty assessed. In my notes at the end, I write, I'm sure I did this in the blog too, but I just have it one word at a time. What was the point of this leg? Yeah, <laughs> this leg was the most fillery of filler legs, being perfectly honest. You could have taken this leg out and nobody would have even batted an eyelid. James and Sarah might, because they would have been super far behind when they went to Paris. But yeah, this leg was just kind of a bit of a, a waste. Because usually when you get a filler leg like this, there's loads of good character moments. And I mean, the best character moments, as always in this season, come from Lucy and Amelia just flirting with people. One funny thing with Ross and Taryn, that's every single roadblock that Ross did, especially for this episode and the last one, it was always the exact same quote of, oh, I gotta really nail this roadblock, I can't let Taryn down. He says that last episode, and this episode with the Derivish, he says it again, oh, I really gotta nail down this roadblock, I can't let Taryn down. And I'm thinking, they really didn't give Ross and Taryn that much story through six episodes. No, the the best thing that Ross and Taryn did in this entire season was giving us, to this point, six episodes of Lucy and Amelia. Yeah, that was their using the salvage pass on him. Yeah, they are a team that I am eternally grateful to, purely because they saved Lucy and Amelia and gave us so much amusement throughout the season. <laughs> Talking about them personally, though, yeah, they were a bit under-edited. In terms of father-daughter teams, where do they rank for you? Well, they're definitely below Gary and Mallory, obviously, given my love of Gary and Mallory. They are probably on the lower end. I do like them. I like most of the teams in this cast. But am I sad to see them go compared to the other seven teams? No. They don't have as much personality as some of the other father-daughter, especially the U.S., um, father-daughter teams you know they're not pulling me in to want make me want to listen to what they have to say really no if it was them or james and sarah obviously i'll pick james and sarah any day because there is a lot of fun james and sarah stuff coming soon if they had made it a bit further say nine or ten episodes into this season do you think the perception of the public would have been drastically different where instead of it's oh it's just a really nice but really boring capable father-daughter team would it have turned into oh wow i really want to 
see these people succeed. I really want to see them play two, three, four times. I don't think so. I don't think they had enough in them. Look, they're really nice, but I don't think they have enough outgoing sort of personality to make us interested. They just don't have the fire. Yeah. I'm sure they're lovely people, but they are not a huge loss to the season at this point. Ross should have just had that old school moustache for this season. It's worth pointing out the most cut up person about them going home is Grant Bowler. Yeah, Grant Bowler was in tears. You could see his eyes getting watery. Yeah, he looks he looks a little bit teary when having to say goodbye to them. And I think it is because at the time that this was filmed, he had an eight-year-old daughter. So I think he probably sees a lot of himself in Ross and Taryn's relationship with her. That's my suspicion. Even though Ross is 12 years older than him. So, next time, the most insane-like and amazing race history sees Lucy and Amelia scream as they're off to France, the city of love becomes the city of hate as Joseph and Grace bend the rules, and in an amazing race first, the race also heads to Cuba. Oh yeah. Yeah, this is the first time that Amazing Race has ever been to Cuba. There's only been three visits, I think it is, even now. And um, it's certainly going to be an interesting leg or pair of legs to talk about. Have you guys got anything else you want to say about this one, though? I'm all good. Nope. Excellent. In that case, thank you for listening to our Amazing Race Australia recap. We'll be back next week to recap episode number seven. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at LuxaCracky. Michelle is better through three. And I'm MJ Helmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. See you next week. Bye. Peace out and just chill till the next episode.